Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. Riddle me this. Will you need your hinds feet in heaven? And tell me if you can. Will you be given the wings of an eagle so you can fly to heaven? Let's get this started with a kick, shall we?
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of the End Time Tribune, May the 5th, 2018. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Let's get the guys in the saddle straight away. Clinton, how's your week progressed, and what's been catching your eye in the news? You know, it's been a, a very busy week and kind of chaotic, and, um, you know, the, the news has just been off the charts. I mean, everything that's that's going on across the globe um, in the Middle East and then the craziness that's developing in Hawaii as well is just uh, catching people's attention. That is correct. Now we're having some serious problems in Hawaii, it would seem, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, Brian, how has your week progressed, and what's been catching your eye in the news? How has my week progressed? One of those interesting weeks. Uh, we discussed some of that stuff, I guess, on air last night on the uh, podcast we did over on my channel to a degree and what has been catching my eye in the news well I've been sporadically really focusing in on certain key topics and then of course watching other uh, developments in the midst of this and I'd have to add in yeah the situation in Hawaii um, I just had found out about this earlier and I couldn't even believe what I was seeing it's really getting uh pretty bad over there with this volcano going off earthquake um, predicted warnings going on for time and quite a bit so I'm hoping somebody else knows more about this than I do because I've been trying to sort of keep zeroed in on these specific topics that I've been really really uh, keeping an eye on so talk more about that when we get into things one thing caught my eye today is we had uh uh, some interesting developments here. Um, strangely enough, we had uh, an earthquake associated with a coal mine collapse in Poland. But we also had 23 miners killed in Bukistan due to the same thing. Now, I found that extremely rare that we had two mines collapse in the same day. Uh, that's not normal, boys and girls, uh, not the least. And strangely enough, people – I made a random comment on uh, Facebook, and I got quite a lot of correspondence about today because I just uh, made the simple – Simple statement. I gave the uh, corresponding verses that uh, declare that the earth is going to expand. It's going to get bigger. And I just pointed out that, well, that's what sinkholes are. When you have a spherical object, that object gets bigger. It produces spherical voids. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's really simple physics. It's not very hard to figure out. But on top of that, we've been having huge cracks appear different places. And um, yeah, very disturbing images I got from Hawaii as a crack had divided a major road, so the authorities had it blocked off. 
but in this crack was boiling lava. So, uh, just understand, ladies and gentlemen, that that means something. And God has given us a fantastic amount of data about what's actually going to happen. If you keep your nose out of the entertainment eschatology, um, there is just major uh, things that he's told you is going to be associated with his presence. And um, it's really exciting to uh, investigate and go over the data. Um, as a matter of fact, me and the sisters were talking about this the other day on a different post. Uh, I pointed out that they might want to uh, investigate what it's like, uh, the differentiation between cooking at sea level and at altitude. They're going to need to know that. And that triggered some different things. Uh, one of the girls, of course, is associated with the medical industry, and I said yes. Also, it pertains to blood pressure. Um, most people don't think to look into these things, but if you've got high blood pressure, ladies and gentlemen, what happens when you move to elevation or you move down to sea level, change your location… You um, have all kinds of things that you can study and prepare for to understand what's going to happen, and that actually keeps your head in the game. It uh, will help you uh, avoid entertainment eschatology because those things are real because when God might make statements like he's going to… Increase your steps. Well, that can only happen one way, ladies and gentlemen. The planet's got to get bigger. And that explains a whole lot of other statements that he's made. So investigating that type of thing uh, will consume your time. It will prepare your mind, and more importantly, it will prepare you on how to discuss these things… With people who are in fact lost in the entertainment eschatology industry, and uh, we'll give them hard data, and everybody knows that it's hard data that will get the gears turning and not fantasies. So with that in mind, Clinton, you have the floor. You know, for, uh, for all of you that haven't really been paying attention to Hawaii, um, it's you know, one of many volcanoes that are uh, becoming active and having numerous earthquakes underneath there. I mean, we talked about last week how Yellowstone was having numerous earthquakes underneath it. Well, Hawaii had about 250 minor earthquakes underneath the volcano and then abruptly had a large 5.0 earthquake. And I think within a day, um, that's when the volcano started to erupt. Um, there's massive reports, there's video, there's everything that you want to see. People are being evacuated right now because after the volcano started to erupt, the island then was hit by another 6.9 earthquake, and that was today. So this is, this is getting very, very violent on that island. And, you know, anyone that knows about those islands, they're, they're basically formed from volcanoes. Um, and so 
who knows what the extent of this is, but what Matthew was explaining about the earth getting larger, that, that explains so much about, you know, the mountains and the islands and what scripture says about what will happen to those. It also explains, you know, what's going on with the volcanoes and how they are becoming more and more active, how we're having earthquakes that are happening off the Oregon coast, how we're having earthquakes that are happening in California. All of the activity within the ring of fire is increasing as well. You know, if you want to go to USGS.gov and look at the map of the earthquakes, you can see the activity is off the charts. And, well, we've anticipated this. Most of the people that watch the earthquakes, watch the volcanoes, and watch the 177-day cycle and all these different things, they anticipated that May was going to be a very exciting month for this kind of stuff. And it started off with the bang, and it's happening in Hawaii right now. So make sure that your prayers are out there to those poor people because, well, there's not really a lot of real estate to run to when you're on an island. So hopefully that's okay. Now, what's happening across the globe is not as, as less exciting. Um, I mean, what, what happened in Israel this last week and in Syria this last week is enough to, to rock you as well. I mean, we, we've seen escalation in Syria. We've talked about how the United States is going to leave their troops there and we're going to open them up to the highest bidder. And, and all of these things are happening in Syria. And then this week, they have a surprise attack from Israel. I mean, at first, we didn't know who it was. And then, you know, it came a pretty apparent that it was Israel, and they came out pretty much bragging about it. Um, but they, they destroyed 200 missiles. They hit targets in Hama and Aleppo, and they end up killing 16 individuals, including 11 Iranian soldiers. And the majority of these attacks were against Iranian installations in Syria. This is big. This is the first direct attack from Israel against Iran. If that doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, then, well, maybe you need to pay attention a little bit more. I mean, this this attack was so strong, so severe, it caused a 2.6 earthquake in Syria from the attack that Israel did. That's some firepower. And they're even saying that there's a possibility that that was a tactical nuke. We don't have verification of it, but they're saying that that's a strong possibility that that is what it is, which is very interesting because, well, the entire international community knows that Israel has nukes, but officially they don't know Israel has nukes. You know, officially Israel's not supposed to have nukes because no one in the Middle East is supposed to have nukes, but everyone knows Israel has it. And it was kind of interesting because President Trump came out saying that it's completely off the table to negotiate that Israel has to give up their nukes which is kind of like, you know, slap to the forehead. Why did you say that? Because technically no one's brought that up that they have nukes, and now the President of the United States just did that, so now we have to address that Israel has nukes. Well, Israel's response is they directly attack Syria, and then they Netanyahu comes out and does a, a big presentation about how Iran lied about their nukes and their nuclear capabilities and the Iranian nuclear deal and, and everything that they've been pushing about this deal, about getting out of it, because, well, President Trump has to ratify it in May. I mean, he has to do that in a couple of days from now. And if he does not ratify this agreement, which happens, I believe, on the 12th, then, well, 
there's nothing stopping Iran and the United States from having an escalation. Now, this information that Netanyahu presented, it's not anything really new, and this is just something you know that I wanted to just um, read real quick. It says the files presented by Netanyahu were, were allegedly copied from a highly se- a secret location in Iran. They detailed Project Ahmad which Netanyahu describes as a comprehensive program to design, build, and test nuclear weapons in operation between 1999 and 2003. He said the files provided new and conclusive proof of the secret nuclear weapons program that Iran had been hiding for years from the international community in its secret atomic archive. However, The only new fact Netanyahu revealed on Monday was that Iran allegedly moved the documents in 2017, according to Thomas Countryman, a former acting undersecretary of state for arms control and international security. So, I mean, this information that Netanyahu presented on Monday, there's nothing new about it. But it was very important for him to come out, and there was, you know, the whole internet went crazy because on there it said, you know, Iran lied and they took out, you know, pieces of it and it said, I lied. And everyone's making fun of Netanyahu for that. But, but why present this information now after Israel attacked Iran and Syria? I mean, this is already information that is out there, but the whole point of it is, is to say that Iran violated the spirit of the deal, you know, because they should have released that they had this documentation and moved it in 2017, which was before the deal was ever signed. This documentation is before the deal was ever signed, but it's against the spirit of the deal. And because they don't agree with the spirit of the deal, the United States should pull out of the nuclear deal, which under every scenario means the United States and Iran and Israel and the whole Middle East is going to go up in flames that there's going to be a war that breaks out in the Middle East. That's what that means if they pull out of the deal. I mean, it's just, it's, it's beyond comprehension. The fact that Iran came out shortly after that, and they basically said that, well, they have no issues whatsoever with creating uranium, and they can do it at a higher level than before the deal was announced. I mean, this is straight from the Times of Israel. The head of the Iranian Atomic Energy Organization warned Monday that Tehran is technically able to enrich uranium at a higher level than it could before it signed a nuclear deal with six world powers in 2015. Directing his comments at U.S. President Donald Trump, who is considering scrapping what he calls a terribly flawed agreement in the coming days, Ali Akbar Salih was quoted by Iranian state TV as saying, Iran is not bluffing. Technically, we are fully prepared to enrich uranium higher than we used to produce before the deal was reached. I hope Trump comes to his senses and stays in the deal. I mean, even Iran is coming out saying, um, you probably don't want to pull out of this deal because the only reason that we don't have a nuke is because of this deal. If you pull out of this deal, Iran will have a nuke within a matter of days is basically what they're coming out and saying. And if that is the case, then we already know Israel is not going to allow Iran to have a nuke. There's no way There's no way Saudi Arabia is going to allow Iran to have a nuke. So there's only one solution that happens if we pull out of that deal. 
we go to war. There's only one solution. But before we go to war, we have to, you know, just kind of mess with people a little bit and mess with Iran. I mean, we have a, a weird kind of lawsuit judgment that came out this week as well against Iran, basically saying that Iran owes the families of the deceased of the, from the 9-11 attacks that they owe them $9 billion. You know, they need to pay $12.5 million to every spouse, $8.5 million to every parent, $8.5 million to every child, and $4.25 million to every sibling of a victim of 9-11 attacks, which is interesting because, well, when the 9-11 commission that was put together after the attacks on 9-11, they came out and said that the two countries that were involved in 9-11 were Israel and Saudi Arabia and not Iran. There was no connection with Iran and September 11th, but yet we just had a court judgment saying that Iran needs to pay $6 billion to the victims of 9-11. Okay, interesting that this was this week as well. It just seems like it's part of the propaganda. You have Israel that came out and, and puts out information that everyone knows that happened before the nuclear deal as justification as a breach of the contract and then you have the United States court system make a ruling against the country of Iran saying that they owe judgment and you owe money to the victims of 9-11 when they didn't do anything in the attack. You see the propaganda machine being created, and it's all to lead to war. It's all to lead to the final outcome, which is unfortunately talked about by Ezekiel. I mean, that's... Plain and simple, that's the best way to put it. This is talked about by Ezekiel. And and when you look at how everything is developing, you can see that they are just beyond any understanding of not necessarily reality, but of care for any individuals or anything that's going on. I mean, you take in consideration what's happening in Gaza. I mean, Israel came out, and we, we we've been talking about the – the protests that the Palestinians have been having against Israel, how they every Friday and through the weekend, the Palestinians come up to the Gaza border and they protest. I mean, there's even reports that they're lighting flags on fire and then sending the flags over to the Israeli side and starting fires over there. And the troops are going to start shooting the people that are doing the flags because that's an attack. Well, the violence escalated to where yesterday the Palestinians were shot upon and gas was sprayed at them to the point that 1,100 Palestinians were injured yesterday. I mean, we've seen this escalation get larger and larger and larger. And every week I've talked about this escalation getting larger. And we know up until the 70th celebration of Israel, this is going to get worse and probably beyond. And, well, it's not the people in Gaza, they're necessarily escalating. Yeah, they're setting their gas lines on fire and they're lighting kites on fire. But I mean, it's still, it's, it's, it's kids toys compared to tanks and tear gas and bullets. It's, it's kids toys. Well, you know, I mean, the international community is not necessarily happy with Israel and their stance and, and what they're doing to the Palestinians. And so, well, this is Israel's response. The protests by Palestinians on the Gaza border fall into the category of a state of war. 
and thus human rights laws do, does not apply to the rules of engagement. The state said in its response to the high court petition by, filed by human rights groups, according to the response, the Israeli forces rules of engagement comply with both Israeli and international law. The state opposes the applying of human rights laws during an armed conflict, the state wrote, according that, uh, adding that the Red Cross had acknowledged that such law indeed did not have to be applied during such state of affairs. In their so-called March of Return, Gazas have protested each Friday at the Gaza border fence. In the demonstrations, the Israeli army has killed 45 protesters and wounded thousands. The army said in its, it's trying to stop the fences from being breached. Israel's already taken the stance that this is war against the Palestinians. And they officially came out saying that they do not have to abide by international law on human rights in their response to the Palestinians. I mean, we, we talked about how they have, they have made Gaza to the point that it will be uninhabitable by 2020. That is two years. It's a year and a half from now. That land will be uninhabitable because they have put such economic strains on those people. And now they are saying that they do not have to abide by international human rights laws, the Palestinians. And Israel is attacking Syria. Israel just attacked Iran. Israel is waging war against its neighbors as we speak. And, well, to kind of verify that that is their intention, that is their, their plan, their goal is to wage war, to start a prophetic war that two chapters of scripture are dedicated to. Well, I'll just read this from the Times of Israel. In a surprise and potentially far-reaching victory for Benjamin Netanyahu, the uh, Kesnet on Wednesday evening, or on Monday evening, gave the Prime Minister the authority to declare war or order a major military operation by consulting only the Defense Minister and not via a full cabinet vote, as the law had previously required. Basically, the Israeli Congress, the ruling group, just gave war authority to Benjamin Netanyahu to talk to one other person to wage war on whoever he wants to. <laughs> so, yeah. We know exactly where this is headed because they have demonstrated exactly where it's headed. They, they, Israel has gone to the international community, gone to the UN, and showed the atrocities that Iran has done, shown what Syria has done, shown what the intentions of the Iranian regime were against Israel. Iran has never had any qualms with saying they plan on wiping Israel off the face of the earth. And they have used the, the Palestinians and they have used Syria, they have used Hezbollah and Hamas as their battering ram. They have. I mean, that's been their tactic. Everyone knows this. There's no secret to it. And Israel did try the diplomatic path to resolving this issue. And the United, States, the United Nations backed the Islamic community that's doing this. Now, the United States has come out and said that they're going to back Israel. Now, Israel's never had a friend like the United States you know, 
Well, and we're, we've also tried recruiting help too. You know, I mean, we, we as the United States have become buddy, buddy with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. We, we've talked about him and how he's making all these moves and, and gaining, you know, influence with the Israeli community and with the Israeli leaders. He even allowed uh, the first commercial flight from India to go directly over Saudi Arabia into Israel. And he recently came out and said to Palestinians, if they don't agree with this peace treaty that Trump is going to release, that they just need to shut up. I mean, I think that's a direct quote is they just need to shut up. And, you know, the, 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 the group of reporters that were listening to this were kind of shocked that a world leader would say this to a group of people, but that is the official Saudi stance against the Palestinians. And, you know, the president of the United States has come out and said that the, you know, United States military is for hire, that we, we need to start collecting money for, from these wealthy countries that are using us as their military. So Saudi Arabia is, of course, that country. I mean, we all know this. But Saudi Arabia has also taken a different stance. You know, they, they've increased their military spending to where they are the number three largest military spending country in the world right now. There's only two countries ahead of Saudi Arabia. Of course, the United States. Everyone knows the United States spends so much money on the military. So, so yeah, we're number one. You know, number two is China, not Russia, China. Number three is Saudi Arabia. Number four is Russia. And, and the gap is quite amazing because, I mean, as number three, Saudi Arabia, they, send, they spend $69.2 billion per year on their military, $69.2 billion. I mean, Russia, they spend $66.3 billion. I mean, that's still a lot of money, 66.3. And then you get to China. You know, they spend $228 billion. I mean, that's only, you know, three, four times Saudi Arabia. You know, so that's a drastic increase. And then, of course, you get to the United States, and we spend $609 billion a year on our military. Oh, and, and by the way, there's going to be a debate next week where Congress is going to talk about raising it from $609 billion to $717 billion. So we're only going to add another $108 billion this year on military spending. You know, that eclipses Saudi Arabia's, that almost doubles it. And that's just the addition that we're going to add this year. So, yeah, we're going to war, plain and simple. All of these countries are increasing their spending. We have been selling arms all across the globe. I mean, President Trump is the greatest arms seller, you know, that we've ever had as president of the United States. I mean, everyone is buying our arms. I mean, there's debates on who should buy, you know, the the weapon systems and who should buy the missile defense systems. I mean, there's all this pressure from going on with Turkey because Turkey wants to buy the missile defense system from Russia and NATO saying, no, you can't buy a Russian missile defense system. You have to buy a NATO missile, missile defense system to defend your country. And Turkey doesn't know what to do because yeah, they're part of NATO, but they don't really like NATO and they would rather be part of Russia or their own. They really don't know. They just want to buy weapons. So, so that's kind of what's going on. And so Saudi Arabia, yeah, they're, we're, our military is for hire, and they're what, you know, arming up their military to go after Iran. They've already made that known. They've already made that known that they're planning on sending troops into Syria. Saudi Arabia, is, there's no secret to any of this I'm saying to you. 
you know, and, and Saudi Arabia has actually been going around to different countries in the Middle East and trying to recruit them to do it. I mean, the United Arab Emirates is completely on their side. They're going to be funding and sending military in. Qatar said, no, we're not going to send any military troops in. We're not going to send any funding into Syria. And so Saudi Arabia's response is, we're going to make a moat of nuclear waste around your country and, and blockade your country with nuclear waste. Um, Yemen, of course, they're in their own war with Saudi Arabia. And there's reports that came out this week that the United States and the UK have been supporting Syria, uh, Saudi Arabia in their attacks in Yemen. And the atrocities in Yemen, they have, squand- they have just destroyed this country economically to the point that cholera is killing just more people than I can even count. And the the military is attacking Syria or uh, Yemen so badly that those people are on the brink of, of disaster. And every once in a while, they get a rocket that goes past their missile defense system and hits someone in Saudi Arabia, and it makes world news that Yemen actually hit something. But for the most part, they, they don't stand a chance. And knowing, knowing that the United States and the U.K. has been involved in there, yeah, they really have no chance. We have reports that um, – you know, Somalia, there's issues going on there. Ethiopia and Egypt are about ready to go at it. And then we also have Egypt that came out and said, yeah, we may send troops to Syria too. You know, I mean, is Egypt and Saudi Arabia become buddy-buddy? Uh, economically, Saudi Arabia has been helping them for quite a while. And in, in exchange, you know, Egypt has given them two islands that, you know, just happened this last year. So, yeah, Egypt's already in bed with them and plans on sending troops to Syria like the rest of the world. So everything is building, everything is growing to show this war in Syria that is already going on. Oh, and just a little side note, you know, everyone knows how wealthy Saudi Arabia is and how they went and took all this money from the princes and all this kind of stuff. Well, Saudi Arabia has the number two performing stock exchange in the world. I don't think you guys realize that, but they're number two. I mean, number one is Egypt, not the United States. It's Egypt. And so number two is Saudi Arabia. And with oil prices going through the roof, which we're going to war in the Middle East, oil prices are going to go through the roof. That just means more money to Saudi Arabia, which means they can buy more weapons and they can fund more military troops. That's what that means. So, yeah, that. They're going to be number one stock exchange in the world pretty soon. So just a little tidbit there. But then we can take to, you know, a place that's not doing necessarily as well economically, and that's Venezuela. I mean, we, we talk about Venezuela, it seems like, on a, on a weekly basis at this point. I mean, they've been they're, – they're suffering from hyperfla- hyperinflation. They're, people are leaving the country in droves and, and heading to the United States or Brazil or – you know, Cambodia or Colombia or wh- wherever they can go to get out of Venezuela. Um, and it just so happens that, well, their election happens on May 20th. You know, all these elections popping up at this time, it's just kind of eerie, but May 20th is when Venezuela has their election and, you know, their, their presence, you know, Maduro is not too happy. You know, he's making this big rant and, and I'll just kind of read this. This is from the Miami Herald. Uh, Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro is warning that he'll take up arms and lead a revolution if a government comes into power that wants to hand the country's riches to imperialist forces. 
In a com- campaign speech Wednesday, Maduro, who is hoping to win his new, a new six-year term in the highly questioned May 20th election, accused his nearest opposition rival, Henry Falcon, of wanting to sell the country out to the gringos. If someday a government was in power that intended to hand over our riches, I would be the first to raise the alarm, grab a gun, and start an armed revolution with the people, if necessary, he told a crowd of supporters in Vargas. I would be the first one to do it and call the people to arms. <laughs> so if, if you know, he doesn't win the election on May 20th, Basically, he's going to recruit the military and everyone that supports him, which, yes, the military do back Maduro, um, to do a coup or to take over the country or to start a war or whatever you want to name it. That is the plan on May 20th in Venezuela. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen you know how Venezuela here recently has gone through and, and arrested individuals with oil companies, and they the executives of Chevron and and uh, have been leaving the country because they're afraid of being arrested. I mean, this is just you you can see how he's already taking control of these these corporations and putting them under government power. We talked about how he's come in line and created the cryptocurrency, the Petro. You know, that is backed by oil in Venezuela. And considering that Venezuela has the largest oil reserve in the world, it, you have to pay attention to it. And he's also planning on making a cryptocurrency that's going to be backed by gold. You know, and he's really pushing this cryptocurrency. I mean, it's got the United States so afraid of this cryptocurrency that President Trump's made an executive order making it illegal for any American to own this petrol currency. Just flat out illegal. Unless you're a part of the secret group that got to buy it before it went for sale. I mean, those people, it's okay for them to have it, but no one really knows who they are except for that they're special. But the average American, you can't own that. It's illegal for you to have it. And so, you know, the country of Venezuela continues to make these moves against corporations. And there was one that just recently happened against the Bank of Banesco. Venezuela said on Thursday it would take over the country's leading private bank, Manesco, for 90 days and announce the arrest of 11 top executives for attacks against the country's rapidly depreciating Bolivar currency. The detention comes on the heels of last month's shock arrest of two Venezuelan executives working in the country for U.S. oil major Chevron Corporation. Oil-rich Venezuela is suffering hyperinflation and a steady collapse of the Bolivarian currency, which Nicolas Maduro has attributed to an economic war. I mean, I would have to kind of agree that, yeah, he is facing an economic war. I mean, we, we know that he had major bills that he needed to pay. And like every corporation out there, you take out loans to pay your bills. It's not like you pay your bills with the money coming in because you've already spent that by the time you get that money. So you take out a loan that then pay it. So he went to go take out a loan and the United States made it to where no bank could lend to Venezuela. So in an essence was going to cause the country of Venezuela to default, which they did. And well, there was one country that came to their rescue and said, Hey, you know, I mean, all you have to do is give us, you know, 50% ownership of your largest oil company, and we'll give you this money to pay off your, your bills. 
that country was Russia. <laughs> so Russia was able to gain ownership of 50% of Venezuela's largest oil company by basically helping them pay the debt they owe the United States. And so then after that, you know, they created the cryptocurrency. And, of course, the United States doesn't like that because that's a, you can't sanction a cryptocurrency. If you try to put any kind of sanctions on a country that doesn't use the U.S. dollar, it doesn't do anything because your sanctions are only good if they use the U.S. dollar. So, of course, Venezuela is trying to get away from that. And they're, they're even enticing other countries. They're trying to sweeten the deal. They're trying to make things better for other countries to, to make them use this cryptocurrency. And the most recent is their negotiations with India. Because they came out and they said, hey, India, if you don't know, we have the largest oil reserve in the world, and Venezuelan oil is the best in the world. And, you know, it's typically what they use in the jets, and it's, it's what you need. And if you use our cryptocurrency to buy our oil, we'll give you a 30% discount. Well, India, they're, they're already seeing what's going on in, in the Middle East with all the turmoil with oil. They know that it's going to get crazy there. They don't necessarily like China. But they're being, you know, understanding at this point. And we, they know that China and Russia are in, in bed together, so they don't necessarily want to buy Russian oil. This is enticing to them. And if companies or countries start to buy oil in the cryptocurrency that Venezuela offers, you're going to have a direct attack against the petrodollar, which is what everyone uses right now, which is basically the U.S. dollar. So, well... Keep an eye on what's going on in Venezuela because this is going to build in every week. It seems to be building and building and building. Uh, just to kind of, you know, since I mentioned China, we're, we will talk about them. I mean, right now they're in the midst of trade negotiations with the United States. I mean, we sent, you know, diplomats or negotiation experts or bankers or whatever you want to call them over to China to work out some kind of deal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a strong arm tactic. We go in there and go, hey, we know that we buy too much of your product and you don't buy enough of our product. So you need to buy $200 billion more American goods than what you already are. Because they're asking China to drop the, their trade deficit by $200 billion. So they're asking the Chinese people to buy $200 billion more of American goods than what they buy right now. And if they don't, what the United States is going to do is they're going to increase the tariffs on Chinese goods coming to the United States by $150 billion. So either the Chinese buy more money or buy more of our goods, or we're going to make it to where it's, it's very difficult and expensive for Americans to buy their goods. I mean, that's economic war. That's as simple as you can put it. That is strong-arm tactics, mafia tactics, whatever you want to call it, against the Chinese government to make them either purchase more American goods or they're not going to be able to sell more to the United States. You know, I understand that we need to work on our trade deficit with China, but trying to maybe fix it all in one fail swoop is a little extreme considering everything else that's going on in the world. But, well, that's our tactics. And, and President Trump plans on going there, I believe, tomorrow or today, or he's going to talk to him. And work this out. So, you know, the hero's on his way, so we'll figure out what that is and see if somehow they're able to work out some kind of deal to where they're going to expect China to spend $200 billion more with the United States per year. 
Oh, and, um, you know, there's just one little topic that they actually should be talking about that they're not really talking about, and that is how China has put their cruise missiles on their islands that they created in the South China Sea. I mean, they created these islands. They're highly contested. They are laying claim to these islands and taking over that area of the South China Sea, and now they just put cruise missiles on those islands. And, well, supposedly they're not pointed at anyone, but they've been really, really taunting Taiwan. And Taiwan has our assurance as the United States, if anything ever happens to them, we will step in. But it won't take very much to take them out. Um, so these cruise missiles being put on these islands, well, that's a big deal. And I think they should be talking about that instead of forcing China to spend $200 billion more with the United States when, you know, good luck. But, you know, that's just one kind of minor little thing. And then there's a weird little tidbit that came out that I don't even know what to think about. There's this, this issue with Chinese lasers being used against American pilots. Uh, a Chinese personnel at the country's first overseas military base in Djibouti um, have been using lasers to interfere with U.S. military aircraft and nearby air, uh, American base activity that has resulted in injuries to U.S. pilots and prompted the U.S. to launch a formal diplomatic protest with Beijing. <laughs> so... So we have this, these weird reports of lasers being used by the Chinese military against the United States military pilots. I mean, we knew that things were going to get sci-fi, that they were going to get crazy, but we have weapons and cruise missiles being put on imaginary islands that they created out of nothing, and we have lasers that are being shot at the pilots and injuring their eyeballs in the airplanes. And we're trying to get them to spend more money with the United States. It 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 doesn't make sense the the the, the reasoning or the focus of where we're putting our our energy, and and it's all leading to well, unfortunately we're going to have an escalation with China. We're going to have to, because they're not going to abide by this new trade agreement. There's there's no way that they're going to sit there and and say they're going to spend two hundred billion dollars more. Again, with the United States, it's just not going to happen. I mean, even in these negotiations, China was laughing at them. Like, are you kidding me? This is this is ridiculous. Well, we'll find out th this weekend if it's going to work out or not. But good luck with that. And then before I hand it back over to Matthew, there was one little tidbit, one weird thing that I don't really even know what to think. And we, we've talked about Facebook and, and Cambridge Analytica and how all this information and this data and this voter, voter data was sold to Cambridge Analytica and how they used the voters' information to manipulate the election. I mean, this is the narrative that we have been told, and, and Facebook has, has you know, been brought in front of Congress to talk about this. Well, now the U.K. is involved with this. Um, Cambridge Analytica has been ordered to hand over all the data and personal information it has on American voters, including the details of where it got the data and what it did with it or face a criminal prosecution. The UK Information Commissioner's Office served the enforcement notice to the company on Friday in a landmark legal decision that opens the way up for 240 million other American voters to request their data back 
from the firm under British data protection laws. Now, on a surface, you're thinking, okay, great, yeah, you know, we should make sure that they don't sell our data, that they don't uh, try to manipulate the election, they don't do this. But then I'm wondering also, why is it the UK that is getting United States voter information? I mean, we are given a foreign government, even if they're an ally or a friend or whatever it is, we're giving a foreign government personal information of U.S. citizens on their voter information and how they were manipulated by this company. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It should be the United States government if they wanted to look into this or do this that is doing this, not the British government. And how is the British government going to use this information? How are, why, are the, why is the British government getting personal information of U.S. citizens that, are, that is, is very, very sensitive data? I mean, this, I don't know what to think of this. And I'll hand it back over to you, Matthew, but this just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Well, it should because everybody knows everything about us. <clears throat> That's what it's come down to. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if it's electronic, it's it's known. I mean, um, and if you don't think they don't know your views on everything, and should they choose to make those views illegal, they're not going to come right to your house. I don't know what to tell you. Can this, I interject something here quickly about what he just brought up? Certainly. Well, let me just point out that that was the original uh, espionage NSA setup with the way they used to do things quite far back at the founding of the uh, FBI, the original CIA. They were basically offloading any intelligence that was being done on American citizens to Britain, and then Britain was doing the exact opposite, where you know they were offloading all of their. Uh, data that was being collected on British citizens so that they had a construct for plausible deniability. So that gives a little history so people can understand why all of a sudden, you know, as Clinton caught that coming up in the news, that's, I'm glad he pointed that out. That's uh, an important little piece that people understand why they're doing what they're doing in this way. And it seems to me that they're just up to their old tricks again. Well, that's right. Uh, Brian, um, you know, so many ways to get around the law when you operate illegally, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, let's let's talk about Germany, okay? Let's just talk about Germany. Let's say that they have a law that's exactly like ours, which they do. And uh, let's just say the French approaches them and say, hey, man, we've got uh, – you know, we've got 600 terabytes of data on every person living in your country. Um, how much you give us for it? Of course they pay for it in the black budget. Of course they do. Or they just go the normal route, which they usually do, and, well, just say it's paid out for services rendered, and their um, politicians uh, reveal it to the public as stuff like, you know, Maintenance, the plumbers, we had cracks in the sidewalk, 
It's a kleptocracy, ladies and gentlemen, and it has been for decades, literally decades. So <clears throat> most people just need to wake up. They, they they need to come to the realization that they don't have a government, and um, you can prove that beyond any shadow of a doubt. Just check the voting records and go back and just take any individual representative, whether it be a congressman or a senator. Check their visitation logs with uh, corporations. And then line that directly up with their voting record. I mean it's – so many people have done it for so long and checked to find out that Republicans are not Republicans and Democrats are not Democrats. They're all just just paid-for stooges by corporations. So uh, that's part of the big stink right now with uh, – one of the leaders, of course, here recently, uh, they're doing massive protests there because of their president, because he uh, passed sweeping laws that now it's really easy for the corporations to hire and fire. It's about like it is here, and uh, the people don't like it very much. Well… This is all going to bear fruit. It's all going to bear fruit, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, you probably need to know that ahead of time. That this is coming. I mean, let's... Uh, you know, you really should check your history books. That's That's all I got to say. I'm looking at a countdown counter on um, timeanddate.com. It tells me 82 days, 13 hours, 20 minutes, and 21 seconds. If you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, you need to write that number down and maybe at least say the Lord's Prayer for that many days in a row. Let me ask you that. I had a good conversation earlier this week with an American, actually, kind of surprising. Of course, they were quite frustrated that their prayers were never answered. So we got into a diatribe about the Lord's Prayer, how the Lord taught us to pray. It took him upwards of 30 minutes to figure out that the entirety of the Lord's Prayer was plural. His mind was that numb. He didn't understand the parameters until after about 40 minutes. Had no idea that <laughs> – 
didn't understand the mechanics of it. I wonder how many of you listening to my voice understand the mechanics, the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. But anyway, you know what? <clears throat> when I was a child, I didn't either. But I was instructed to at least say the Lord's Prayer once a day for a reason. And it wasn't for my sake. But I'm telling you that for your sake. This week for the break, we're going to discuss uh, a riddle that I proposed, and uh, the sisters have been commenting on it. There is a verse in Isaiah chapter 34 that is divided. That one verse creates two verses in the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. We're going to listen to that for the break. And you all need to take serious consideration that, well, is that the only verses that correspond in those two chapters? You might want to figure that out as quickly as possible. Isaiah 34, come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people, that the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world, and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their host shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea, and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness, and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Bozrah, and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day, the smoke thereof shall go up forever, from generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the cormorant and the bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. They shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there. And all her princes shall be nothing. 
and thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof. And it shall be an habitation of dragons and a court for owls. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island. And the satyr shall cry to his fellow. The screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read, no one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate, for my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. And he hath cast the lot for them, and his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it for ever. From generation to generation shall they dwell therein. Revelation 6 And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, 
fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the End Time Tribune. It is time for Brian's diatribe. I hope you consider those two chapters. Isaiah 34 has a wealth of information. Let me ask you this. How many different things was Isaiah chapter 34 talking about, and how many different things was Revelation chapter 6 talking about? You might want to make an itemized list of those two chapters with a numbering system for the events. Brian, the floor is yours. All right. Let me uh, uh so where do we begin? You know, folks, I'm uh maybe going to point out a few things here quick. Brian, I think we lost you. Uh, Clinton, was you able to hear? Oh, there he is again. Brian, is that you again? You got me? Yeah, you you cut out there for a second. Sorry yeah, for the interruption. That, uh, well, that would be um, synonymous, I guess, with what I was going into anyways. Yes, people, uh, Somebody's been messing with my computer and having fun with every mic on it. So, you know, I, I, I quite appreciate whomever you may be locally, but I always have extra ways of doing things. And what I've got set in motion right now, good luck with that. But I think personally that's all irrelevant. Anyways, to get on to what I uh, was going to bring up here first ahead of time. Hey, I'm in the midst of debating on uh, us uh, venturing back into some of the media-type things that we had done in the past, and already we're working on a series over on Overt Attention Show that is going to be detailing uh, some of the ways that we used to do things concerning uh, the deep history and bringing in deep biblically Comparing that with everything we're seeing play out here to clear up some misconceptions. Uh, part of what I got rolling around in my head is, to a degree, I wouldn't mind doing video again for some of this stuff. Because a lot of these things that when people can see exactly what's going on with their own eyes, it starts to really uh, begin to make even more sense. But I kind of have to have a heads up. You know, send an email to me or Matthew or whomever. If you want us to do this again, we'll give it a shot. But, you know, if it's only going to be running around like 20 to 30 views, there's not really much of a point to uh, putting that much effort into something. So if uh, you listeners out there would want something like that to happen, we'll see if we can make something happen. And I think that might be the important place for me to start 
this diatribe anyways. Because as of last night, we, you know, we were pointing out some very key critical elements here that, you know, folks, there's certain, certain key things that we are supposed to be watching for in this time. And, you know, there's been all this infamous talk that keeps floating around. Everybody keeps looking at Ezekiel 38 and 39 with Gog and Magog. And in part, okay, for an event that comes much later down the road, as I explained last night, you can look at Revelation 18 and forward. You're going to find the direct cross-reference that comes right from that first war in the Gog and Magog conflict. Now, everybody, you need to understand something as well, because we discussed this years back, and you can find that on that archive, and I've even got it, uh, the archive that Deb put together of all of our past shows. I have that right in the upper right-hand corner on overdetentionshow.com, and you can easily get to that archive. But years back, Matthew decided to have a uh, sit-down with us and open our eyes to what's happening there with those two chapters. And, you know, it had hit me after going through it that day, previous to us getting on air, I started seeing. When you closely study it, you start realizing that the events of Ezekiel 39 is the first war, and 38 is the second. Do you have elements of both? combined in both chapters well most certainly you know and it's even to take this in even further you know it hit me one day as I'm looking through those chapters specifically in uh, Revelation concerning the ten kings burning the harlot you know knowing full well that you've got this cross uh, reference going from one place to the other I go over to those chapters in Ezekiel, and I count, I look at it and I go, this has got to be a joke. There's 10. How did we not see this before? Well, that's the whole thing. Sometimes we're not meant to see things until it's its time. But that's where we have to keep things in mind here, folks. We have to keep our eyes on the right places. And there is a lot of focus that has suddenly jumped onto Gog and Magog and Damascus becoming a ruinous heap. But this is where I have to state emphatically, folks, everybody, you're getting ahead of yourselves. We need to be specifically watching for the he-goat hitting the ram, which is Media Persia. Now, I've discussed this Many, many, many times before. Okay, I've gone through the genetics, the archaeogenetics, not to even mention it. Okay, and we have Medes, the Medes, in Iran, and we have the Persians. At the time of the battle between Alexander the Great and Darius III, you specifically had two distinct groupings that were still considered the Median satrapy. And we talked about this last night where you've got Azerbaijan, the satrapy 
that was over the top of that, Atropotes, which is where they think the name for Azerbaijan might come from, but there's some other interesting uh, etymologies that go into this. But you have to understand, too, that in Iran, they have a section that is also called Azerbaijan, as in it's the northern section of that going up towards Caspian. Those two satrapies were divided. One was medium major. That's the one that's inside of Iran as we speak. Over by Azerbaijan, that was medium minor. And you had a collection of people that were living there that are no different going from ancient times past all the way back to when, you know, you've got the old Akkadians, the Sumerians, you've got the Gudian, um, the Lulabi, Lud. Uh, you know, this list kind of keeps building. Multiple groupings of empires all sitting on the same spot. I mean, you even have the infamous uh, Kassites, which was one that I had been trying to identify for years. Well, guess what? I now have my biblical identification. But this is kind of where I'm going with this. Okay, in Azerbaijan, they've done the genetic testing. They will try to fool you and say, hey, these are all Turks. No, they're not. Because once they came through and did the genetic testing and they looked at the data, they said, no, what happened here is no different than what happened in the United States when European people started invading, be it South America, be it North America, be it Canada. Well, all of the existing native cultures now have been, you know, here in America, they've been Americanized. They speak English. They're wearing the same clothes. Most of them are living in very poor conditions throughout reservations. But nonetheless, this is how you can understand culture diffusion. You know, if we flip it even more so, they found out, for instance, in Lebanon, we have, they have done the genetic testing compared with the archaeogenetics from uh, skeletal remains that they have found and have realized that, hey, guess what? Who's living in Lebanon now? It's the exact same people. But it's not the same in some of these other regions. That's a topic for a much bigger discussion. But, I mean, people, you've got to start focusing your attention to the proper places because this is one of the biggest things I keep seeing happening over and over again is people are getting ahead of themselves. And when we get ahead of ourselves, yes, these are developments heading towards, for instance, Ezekiel 38 and 39 because, well, both Togarma and Persia are mentioned. Ten kings to burn her, though, because when you start understanding who these people are and you watch the events that are happening with this current administration, specifically, all of a sudden, prophecy is coming to life and jumping right off the pages. And that's what we're watching take place in front of us. You know, and this is where I'm going to kind of whip it back around to the events that happened earlier in the week. Some of this stuff you got to go backwards to as well. 
Netanyahu had his infamous APAC meeting where he met with, uh, you know, it's obviously groupings of uh, the American Jews and some of the uh, branches in American Christianity. And once again, he did this years back when he pulled his uh, infamous stunt that he did this week where he makes that little comment that, well, Persia did try to destroy us once before and didn't succeed. And folks, I already caught this um, quite some time back, and I've got an entire piece written about this. Because, you know, folks, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Haman wasn't a Persian. He was entitled an Agagite, which Agag was who? He was the king of the Amalekites. So guess what? Haman was an Amalekite. Now, I've discussed this with David Roll, even asking him, this question and he confirmed it to me because I was already seeing things from the work I was doing trying to trace where Amalek went not to even mention that's when I had stumbled onto David Roll's work with the Lords of Avarice and I find the book and I go this can't be real because all this stuff I've been trying to prove here for years this person I've never heard of before is laying it all out with all the details So, of course, I contacted David immediately after I got home. But I talked to him about this. Well, where did Amalek end up? Well, if you start looking through the history of Boeotia Thebes, you know, a part of what you would have considered Greece during ancient times, you begin to notice parallels that are described in the Bible early on that are exact matches with Amalek like for instance the upside down uh, crescent moon pendants and all kinds of other odd things you know so I go through his book Lords of Avarice and it it kind of leaves a little bit open where Amalek went and at the same time you get that indication so that's why I asked David where'd they end up is it boys of thieves am I in the right ballpark here and he said yeah but then as we look further towards Macedonian history, you see, we begin to realize something. When you start going through Macedonian history, you find out that, hey, guess what? Some of those people from Boeotia, Thebes, started coming into Macedonia. You have circumstances where they get connected with the royalty. And then all of a sudden, something begins to stand out in the book of Daniel that becomes very confusing at first glance. Daniel's standing there. Do you know why I'm here? Gabriel explains to him, I just had to stand against the prince of Persia and the prince of your people, Michael, came in to help me to deliver this message. But let me tell you as well, The prince of Yavon is about to come. Well, who's the prince of Yavon? That's Ionia, which is Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is not Greek, or Greece, more properly said. Because in Table of Nations, in the Bible, when you go through, say, for instance, Genesis 10, or you line it back up with, Uh, First Chronicles, multiple 
front chapters there where you get other interesting details, sometimes different spellings that help you cue in on some other pieces to kind of figure out who's who. Well, it's kind of important I'm stating this because right now Greece is fighting with uh, the former Yugoslavia Republic of Macedonia over a name dispute saying we're the Macedonians, even though all ancient historical texts pointed out to you that the Macedonians weren't the Greeks. It's sort of a, how do you put that? Interesting. Because who are the Greeks, according to their own statements, the Hellenes? And biblically speaking, Halas. It's always been that way. But as we rolled it forward, you know, and as Netanyahu's throwing out this infamous statement again, okay, folks, it was never Persia that was the instigator of what happened at the time of Esther. It was Haman, who was an Amalekite, which they lived in Boeotia, Thebes, and then lo and behold, they rolled up in to Macedonia as well and by that time this is why Daniel was being warned you do understand that the prince of Macedonia is about to come that doesn't make sense in the timeline when you pay attention to when it was but it makes complete sense when you've done your historical work and lo and behold you find out who was sitting there Amalek have people up in Macedonia. Lo and behold, that prince, that prince of Javad, all of a sudden starts sweeping in that early. And, I mean, folks, when you have the leader of a nation, specifically when you have the leader of Israel standing up, trying to justify their actions, they're trying to, uh, how do you put this? Well, they don't want to instigate, of course. But when you have a false statement like this coming out of the leader of Israel, where he uses the Bible as justification, folks, we have some serious problems here. You know, I could sit down somebody that has just learned to read and have them read it and they can understand this. But that kind of flips things around to the beginning of the week. Now, you know, being in the midst of already doing a bunch of historical work right now, I get up, uh, I believe it was Sunday or Monday. I think it was Monday. I had found out five hours previous that Syria was struck. Now you go in and you watch the video and it was very, very, very apparent what was going on because I had my wife and our roommate both listen at the same time as the uh, missile came in and hit. But if you look at the actual video itself, you also notice that things are already lit up in other places around it. And you can clearly hear a plane because it was not the missile itself because it had already struck. 
but you could clearly hear the plane still moving through the air. You know, and it was it was mentioned earlier here that there was a possibility of it being nuclear, but look, folks, that story actually had broke early. I caught the, um, well, I'd say the rebuke against that story because immediately it was pointed out the site that started the rumor that Israel dropped the nuke on them and just went through, and they've been following this site for ages, that continually drops what you would refer to as clickbait filled with fake news. That's not what struck Syria. What struck Syria was a very specific bomb that is designed to burrow into mountains. It's a specific type of bunker buster. Now, I went through, sat there, and watched this thing like a hawk all throughout the night as this played out because, of course, immediately I had suspicions of who was responsible. You got conflicting reports that at first you get out of uh, Lebanon and you're getting out of Syrian sources that Islamic Revolutionary Guard was killed there. Then Iran takes it back, says they weren't. It just keeps going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You know, so of course you see something peculiar is happening here. So I keep following the threads through. Keep watching every bit of what's going on. But I mean, here's some of the key elements that were happening in the midst of this as well. Mike Pompeo had, you know, first he heads out to Europe. Right as he's sworn in. You know, the infamous uh, Mike Pompeo until the rapture comes. On top of it, who has... It's documented, like no tomorrow, that he has vehemently had hate speech going on Muslims, many other areas, vehemently has stated that things concerning Iran, you know, you, you, you can look into all this documented uh, stuff that's out there through real news sources, because you see, I don't use fake news, I'm very picky about my sources, But I think that's besides the point. It's documented how things that he has said since he has been in government. You know, we have this guy put as the head of the State Department who was taking the CIA back towards paramilitary roots. Should be shocking enough as is. Of course, the main things, what do they talk about when he gets out there to the European nations concerning those with NATO? Well, of course, what's brought up right away, it's going to be done about Iran. Okay, then he flies over to Saudi Arabia, meets there with uh, King and some of the other people that are, you know, of course, associated with the governing body there. I'm sure good old uh, Prince was in, the Prince was involved in it, too, because he, he keeps coming up, as he always does in the news, Mr. Mohammed bin Salman. But that's kind of that. Then Pompeo goes over to Israel. Once again, they're talking about Iran, of course, and other little odds and ends. You know, of course, we got the big events here happening with the embassy being moved. All of that, not to even mention massive events that are happening in the Gaza Strip. What we have building on the north with the cedars of Lebanon. 
Hezbollah. Of course, what we have happening with Bashar al-Assad in Syria. And then, you know, Turkey doing what they do. Because, you know, we, we discussed this when the Gulen coup happened, and even afterwards we brought up a lot of these details on the videos we did on the Bands of Time. Okay, folks, you need to take note of the fact that it was reported that those uh, Gulen members had Erdogan dead to rights, and yet he walked away. Okay, we can see that there's uh, strains now in the relations between Russia and Iran concerning what's happening in Syria, and that divide keeps... Of course, as usual with Erdogan, it's going back and forth and back and forth as he's building his own militant army on towards the uh, border of Turkey with the different rebel groups that continue to get moved out of these areas as they're trying to take back all the areas around Damascus and other places. And, of course, he's over there taking these people in, building his own new Ottoman militant army, and they have scam elections coming up, which already the whole thing is just... It's laughable because you can see full well that this is just another one of his atypical solidifying power moves. I'm not altogether too concerned about the fact that Erdogan's about to get displaced. Because anybody watching this knows full well that something's fishy, as always. But when we had these, um, you know, and we're still sitting in alleged chemical attack because we still don't have anything that even proves it happened. Or who was responsible if it did happen? All of this stuff is floating in the air. Now, I've, I've known about some of the stuff that uh, Russia has brought forward and even Syria with uh, people that were in the video getting ready to testify before the uh, UN groups. And by the sounds of it, from something I stumbled on earlier this week, uh, that kid and his father may already have come before the UN Groups. So, I don't know. We still don't have any clarity as to what happened there. But the bottom line results of what everybody's pointing out here is this has done more to divide all the varied factions that are caught in the midst of Syria. And still, as Trump keeps dropping out there about pulling the troops back, as we mobilize the same people that essentially, to a degree, had a indirect maybe is the best way to explain it, influence on many of the uh, terror groups that have swarmed into Syria as we speak. Why do I say indirect? Because things are far more complicated than that. You know, for instance, the, uh, the cute little stunt now that's become a twofold. Clinton mentioned one of these. But, you know, we've had, once again, they brought the lawsuit forward to sue Saudi Arabia for September 11th. Well, Folks, Saudi Arabia itself was not directly involved. That has been disproved like there's no tomorrow at this stage. They were not directly involved. Now, did Wahhabism play its part and a lot of the radicalization that came about because of that, that swept down through, you know, going south from Saudi Arabia makes its way down into Pakistan, Afghanistan, some of it through India, and then on out to these other places? Yes. In that branch, 
some of these people were radicalized through those means. So indirectly, in the long run, over the years, yeah, they had an effect. But also indirectly, when the United States started getting involved in the Middle East, when we had the Lebanon War, then we moved forward to when Saddam Hussein hit Kuwait. Okay, American troops start occupying the soil there in Saudi Arabia, bases, Kuwait, the whole thing. You know, and Osama bin Laden is sitting there looking at this because he talked to the king at that time and said, we don't need the Americans here. We just, over, not too far back here, we were part of the groups that dealt with the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. That was, uh, as I pointed out before, part of Brzezinski's uh, grand chessboard strategy as America intentionally started dropping little hints and got Russia to come flying into Afghanistan. As he's sitting there telling the Saudi king, hey, let us take care of this. We just got done with this big war in Russia as he was working with the Mujahideen. Let us take care of our problems on our own ground. But of course, it didn't happen. He's upset because you have these Americans on their soil. Big complex mess. But now, like Clinton brought up, this week, what did they do as well? Now they have also launched the same lawsuit on Iran. Folks, look. Iran had nothing to do with what happened on September 11th. Iran even was contacting the United States to try to help them to give access to those that were in Pakistan and Afghanistan to try to take out the Al-Qaeda groups that were in there. They called immediately to the United States. They made these offers. This is on the record. Okay, so now for this nonsense to come flying out in the midst of this other campaign is just ridiculous. But that's the whole point. Because this wraps back around to what I was stating. Mike Pompeo shows up in Israel, then whips over to Jordan. Not even a few hours into Jordan, all of a sudden Israel, as at least has been stated through, I don't know if they mean leaks in the United States, security officials, or if they are claiming it's leaks from Israel, because they weren't really clear. That stated, and again, this is where the leak came through, was NBC News, that stated that Israel was behind the uh, bunker buster attack that was launched there in Syria. But as you can see on the ground, as well, like I stated, you can even see it in the background and was even being reported throughout that night. Multiple bases were being hit. There was also a ground war that was being heavily waged at the same time as well, coming towards all of these areas, which they have associated with Iranian and, of course, other elements. And all of this kind of happened because of a uh, transport plane that came out of Tehran and had flown up into Syria and landed right in that same direction. You know, it's, it's rather interesting as there was a time where, you know, it was basically any kind of intelligence like this was only available through the intelligence networks, but now they've got ways that, and it really uh, 
was something I looked at because I was like, this would be cool. But there's little like USB hardware configurations that are set up for computers now where these people can track all of this uh, air traffic, including military air traffic and everything. You know, and there's several people out there that I've found that do this very thing. And the intelligence communities have taken note and they follow after the state of these people are putting out. So we've got a whole different world that we're sitting in where we can actually watch what's happening with our own eyes as these people collect some of these important pieces of data and make it available to everybody. This gives you more clarity on what's happening. And to me, I guess, I don't know, I might be odd, but to me that's kind of, it's kind of nice that we can now see into that realm and have a lot clearer understanding of what's happening. But this is essentially why this attack came flooding in. And it's, you just have to shake your head at the fact that we have Pompeo going from one place to the other, ends up in Jordan, as these attacks are being launched. We find out earlier in the day that when this had happened a bit before as well, that over by the Euphrates, that the American-backed forces, and I would not be surprised that it should almost make sense that Americans were involved, had a direct clash with the Syrian forces, the Russian, and who knows, there may have been Iran involved, there may have been Hezbollah. All the exact details are kind of, as usual, a little hit and miss. You don't know for certain, but at least we know that Syria and Russia was directly involved in this clash that happened where, like I said before, the Euphrates River. In that same 24-hour span. So then you drop that piece of uh, the puzzle into it. You look at this fact that Pompeo was there. Netanyahu that day is supposed to have massive meetings with the Knesset because, well, of course, in the midst of the week, let's see here, um, they dropped the ability for the Knesset to have any say. For instance, if uh, a couple people like Netanyahu and some of his other top advisors state were going to war, well, guess what? They can no longer rule on that now. But on top of it, they also nationalized Israel. Now, everybody might think that's all peachy keen and wonderful, but it's not what you think it means. You know, because let me point out, I touched on this at the very end of normalizing nationalism. I just pointed out the article, which is written by a rabbi in Israel. Not too far back, you had one of the religious leaders stand up in Israel and state, kill all Palestinians. Now, if we like it or not, there is a heavy nationalist move taking place in Israel. You can see it with the settler movement and with a lot of other things. There's things that have been going on with the Likud, Netanyahu, and then, of course, we keep seeing Mr. Yehuda Glick always in this mix as he's going down and they're sacrificing varied animals down by the Temple Mount. They get caught trying to break into Alaska Mosque, and this just keeps going. And, you know, the counter to this one, they always try to use, well, this is anti-Semitism if you're saying anything. Folks, look, 
when you've got statements such as kill all Palestinians coming out of the mouth of a religious leader, we've got problems. And that's what's happening. And that kind of rolls around in the other things that are happening. You know, when we have this massive, massive hit, this massive bunker buster attack, you had the United States whipping in there, and then after they get done, all these laws, Matthew alerted me to them through a message on my phone, go look. I started looking at it and just going, good grief. But, you know, those meetings were sort of, to a degree, pushed off a little bit because that's the day that Netanyahu once again gives his atypical infamous speech that he's done many times before concerning Iran's nuclear program. And what they're stating is Mossad came in and took a huge multiple tons worth of documents that had to be taken out on airplanes in January. Why am I saying it like that? Everybody, do you remember what happened in January in Iran? There were massive protests taking place at that point in time. Of course, rumor mills got floating, and they even began to point their fingers at Erbil, which is now one of the main Kurdish cities. And no, they're not the Medes. That's a discussion for another time. Well, I'll give a little hint. Found something real, really put everything into perspective. The ancient Mitanni and their connection to the Kurds and how the Mitanni Empire is one and the same landmass. It's quite compelling. But, you know, if we remember back, Iran was stating that there was a CIA operation going on over there in, of all places, Erbil. Why is Erbil important? Because Alexander the Great, when the initial battle starts with Darius III, well, it was within viewing distance of that place called Erbil. It had varied names throughout history. Adiabene is another name you'll see it by. Nonetheless, I've covered this stuff in past programs, past video quite extensively to move forward. You know, and that did kind of catch my attention. You know, because I'm going, that's, that's a little bit of an odd accusation. You kind of have to wonder, though. And, you know, we wrap it back around. We had those protests going on in January. And who was also involved deeply with those protests? And even we had Fox News and some other ones pushing it. The very group I've talked about so many times in the past, the MEK, Mujahideen e Kalk, directly is in the midst of those protests. Well, why is that important? Well, for one, they were designated as a terror organization. For two, right on their website, you can see in broad daylight, their whole entire plan is to have regime change in Iran, have the reins handed to them. During the 1979 Iranian revolutions, they come screaming across the border, start shooting people. You move it forward during the Iraqi-Iranian war. They were involved in cahoots with the Iraqis, killing the Iranians. Not to even mention, we know full well that there was chemical attacks that killed a large amount of the Kurdish people. Not to even mention Iranian. We find out later, as the nuclear deals progress, as the diplomats that are right there with the groups 
that are working towards the Iranian nuclear deal blatantly let you know flat out that they supplied those chemical weapons to the Saddam regime. Never mind the fact that in a very complicated roundabout way, Iran was also being armed. It's not as simple as they want you to think as far as what happened with the infamous Iran-Contra. But all those details are important. So we've got, once again, we've got the Mujahideen Ekalk in the equation. And it makes you wonder because you see everybody, a lot of the um, infamous intel that keeps coming forward, pointing at things happening with the nuclear program, which may or may not, I've stated that before, it was at that stage nobody seemed to really know what in the world was happening. <coughs> I think we got a few more key elements of stuff out of that speech, though. At least I picked up on some stuff I wasn't aware of. But nonetheless, in the midst of all this, the um, MEK, we had the January protest. We find out they were deeply involved in that, too, as time progressed. At Fox News, we had several right-wing news sources in America pushing once again for regime change. But then, lo and behold, along comes John Bolton. Secretary of Defense, Mr. John Bolton, who for years has either been hired to come into the MEK meetings with varied groups throughout the world and vice versa. He has pushed on a continual basis for regime change backing the Mujahideen al-Khulq. Now, folks, there's a deep history that goes into these people. That's something to explain another time, but this is one that I have singled out time and time and time and time again to keep your eyes on. And once again, in the midst of all this, you find out that they're in this equation as well with good old John Bolton. It just keeps going. I mean, that's directions going towards that area. But anybody that sat down and went over what was stated, I watched the whole speech, and as was brought forward by many of the analysts after the fact, there's nothing new there. It does not prove that anything was restarted, but the only new detail was um, one of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard members very high up one. The name was floating around, but there was never a face. And lo and behold, they had the face there. Everybody, you need to understand something that happened earlier. It's a book I just recently got a hold of. I just recently found out about this author. Um, stumbled on some things that were brought up concerning things happening with Mossad, for instance. And... Uh, watched an interview that he had that is quite eye-opening concerning is Trump going to declare Jerusalem the capital? What about moving the embassy to Tel Aviv? He says some things in that interview that really should catch people's attention. And once I'm able to get through this book, if it gets the vote of approval, which thus far it's pretty darn good, but I haven't had time to read much more of it. But as he points out there in the beginning, as he uh, is invited into one of the big interviews, as the uh, Mossad agent at that time is being let go as Netanyahu is ramping up 
to just launch a completely direct attack on Iran where he was given the job by the previous prime minister to take care of it Mossad style, which was what? Targeted assassinations. And it's pretty much out in the open now that several of the scientists involved with the nuclear program had been killed. And Netanyahu wanted to go the other route. Full-scale war. And this ex-head of Mossad and Netanyahu tangled about it. Either he was fired or quit. Of course, one says one thing, one says the other. I don't know. Irregardless of it, the big fallout was because of the fact that he's like, look, let us take care of this in this way. We do not need to have everybody go storming into Iran, having how many hundreds of thousands of, even into staggering numbers of casualties to do this. Just let us do our job. And of course, he didn't want to do that. But, folks, that's the thing we have to understand. Is Israel actually going to be the one that launches the full-scale attack? I mean, then we have to start asking questions about Netanyahu's past. And then we have to consider that he started with the Republican administration as a leader, working to a UN ambassador for Israel. And I've talked about this stuff before. But this whole campaign is to get what? It's like I stated. Okay, we need to be watching for that he-go. The campaign is to get these nations to leap on Iran. White House is chilted back and forth and back and forth after these statements. The complexities of this just, well, it's complex. At the same time, it's rather simple. Pompeo's letting basically everybody know as he walks through there, yeah, folks, you best get ready for what's about to come. Iran is going to be left on. At least that's the idea they're giving you now. We'll have to see how this plays out. At the same time, this is kind of why I tend to not talk too much about North and South Korea because I've really gotten to the conclusion that this is ridiculous. Because if, indeed, they decide to completely uh, break away from the Iranian nuclear deal, the United States, that sends the very direct message to Kim Jong-un immediately that, hey, um, you know, they were building those weapons over there with the stated intent of we're not going to get overthrown like all these other nations and have a puppet regime set in place, which always creates a vacuum and chaos. And yet all this is happening at the same time. What in the world is that telling the people in North Korea? It's not telling them anything good, especially when you have John Bolton and other people associated with the infamous axis of evil all of a sudden sitting in office, people that have pushed and listed these very groups, and North Korea ends up on that list. <coughs> oh, and at a very specific time. Yes, the Caspian. Oh, it's important. And everything floats around it. So many of these wars that have been happening over the years. Oh, my gosh. Good old Baku, right where the Bolshevik Revolution started. Iran is on that northern border, by the way, folks. Not to even mention um, that's 
Israel's largest uh, oil supplier. America's got dealings there, British Petroleum. Amoco started with it, and then, of course, they merged with Amoco, and then, of course, BP took the reins. Report that just came out this week, as a matter of fact, with uh, congressional and diplomatic dealings with Azerbaijan to further back them, military weapons. Same thing goes with Israel has been supplying specific drones, all sorts of other things. On the 29th, and Haaretz comes out from the uh, Israeli way of doing the calendar of the 70th anniversary, not the Gregorian, which is our calendar, which is in May, you know, because actually the anniversary, according to the Hebrew calendar, was when they held that 70th anniversary gathering. Well, here in America, what do they post? Azerbaijan. Israel, 70th anniversary. You have both flags flying. They have a deep, deep, deep history with Azerbaijan. Which is next to who? Armenia. We have the Nargamo-Karbakh situation, which is ethnically Armenian. They threw a whole bunch of the other people out there, out of there in the midst of this war has caused a massive refugee crisis in Azerbaijan. And that conflict is still on and off and on and off and on and off. The last conflict we had in 2016. Now it's about time that people finally started taking note of the thing that I saw the very moment that I noticed these protests broke loose in Armenia because now a lot of the analysts are finally starting to catch on to the fact that something is fishy with what's happening in Armenia. And they should have paid attention to these things because, for instance, the history of Pashayin, the uh, leader that is now trying to basically seize the reins, and it's pretty much kind of boiling down to the fact that he's going to get it. His past uh, says a whole lot because he started basically protests several years back where a bunch of people were killed, and then he ended up spending time in prison. You have uh, Armenia was actually part of the... uh, what is it, the European, uh, uh, European uh, Asian Economic Union, which is basically a thing set up between, of course, the Central Asian networks, and then we've got some of these places that are going, obviously, into some of these other countries. Like, for instance, this is why Merkel is getting fed up with all these sanctions being laid down, because Germany has got dealings, especially in the energy industry, with Russia. And then we have some of the European nations also that have those energy dealings going on with Iran. But he, this uh, Pashayin, he's got a pro-EU stance. And this, this was all part of his uh, statements at that time. You know, as these protests lead up, part of main name means get out. I mean, there's all kinds of little details. And then all of a sudden you have um, think tanks NGOs, oh, never mind, they're direct advisors to our security groupings here in the United States, direct access to the government itself, stating that we need to stand behind Armenia and make this because of diplomacy and this, that, and the other thing, and we need to make sure that democracy takes hold and takes root there, and then all of a sudden you're shaking your head going, oh, no. 
I've seen this pattern before. We saw this pattern in Ukraine. We saw this pattern, obviously, with Georgia. We've had many of these nations that are considered part of the Caucasus nations have broken away. Now, you know, when you look into the actual histories themselves of, for instance, like stuff in Georgia, you can see that there's they had the reasoning for having a beef with Russia. The people on the ground aren't too keen about the Russians. You know, so you've got a lot more complex circumstances in the middle of all of this stuff. You know, and we have Armenia that is to a degree allied with Russia, even though Azerbaijan, they were also giving weapons to in the midst of these wars. I mean, it's one big mess. And it's just, everybody is now seeing that if he ends up getting the reins, he's got like next to no time to form a governing body, even though nobody can understand what in the world his goals even are. Making matters worse, all of a sudden rumors have floated out this week that he's been in contact with Mikhail Saakashvili, the infamous leader from the 2008 Georgia Ossetia Wars that broke out. We had Trump involved over there at that time. We support Saakashvili in 2008. Well, now rumors are circulating that through the U.S., He's been in contact with Saakashvili, who has been causing all kinds of turmoil in the Ukraine. I mean, this guy just doesn't go away. Yeah, Matthew, I see you. I'm trying to wind this down. He's in the mix of all this. For Pete's sakes, this just gets more more interesting by the minute. And, I mean, I was rather irritated as time went on here. Because, of course, you had Radio Free, I believe it's Europe, and Radio Free, this, that, and the other thing. Well, look, folks, this is documented historic fact that those uh, radio groups used to be propaganda fronts run directly by the CIA, directed right at Russia during the Cold War. And when you see the same old stunts, the things that they did in the past, you start scratching your head and wondering if maybe they started up that same program again. Because that's what they push is... One side of the story. But as we've progressed here, we can see that something far deeper like we suspected was happening this entire time in Armenia. And I'm glad that these analysts finally started putting the pieces together. I mean, for instance, the Republican Party, which he is trying to displace, dismantle, get rid of, they're all connected to Russia's Gazprom. Warring out there, for instance, over the Baku Okay, the, the Baku is the heart of everything. You know, how did uh, Brzezinski put it with his grand chessboard strategy? It's the court getting access and control of that region opens up control and access to the entirety of Central Asia. And that was the entire key of his strategy, which the strategists to this day still use. Because we know full well who are the two biggest enemies now on the list. China, Russia. You know, our president was stating, oh, we're going to pull our troops out of Afghanistan. Why did he keep them there? Mineral resources, access to the Caspian Sea. Access to Iran's back door. We have Azerbaijan as being armed to the teeth. Israelis are arming them. The United States is arming them. Sitting right on the northern border. We have reports that when the guy that 
betrayed Darius the Third, Bessius, and killed him, which really ticked Alexander off as he chased him all throughout Afghanistan and Pakistan. It was right up there in Azerbaijan as well. And I brought up Trump's dealings. Oh, he's had dirty dealings out there, too. Because why? What did he do? Well, he made a deal out there to build a Trump Tower with the guy that was skirting Iranian sanctions illegally. And then, of course, his son, was just, who was little, that's who they claimed the deal was through. He was like 19 at the time or something when everybody knew that it was actually the other guy. Well, guess what? Last weekend, that Trump Tower in Azerbaijan went up in flames. I don't know. If you need a sign, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, this is just little tiny directions. I mean, there's stuff I'm looking at right now concerning the uh, King of the South in Egypt. Going back, looking at the Diodachi Wars or what happened there with Kidam, a.k.a. Cyprus. Looking at the comparisons of what all we've seen play out recently. Oh, folks, just wait and see when I get to this stuff on a program at some point here because it's absolutely staggering, mind-blowing, unbelievable. That's where we're sitting. Folks, you need to get your mindset in the proper places and start looking at the proper places. You need to sit down and start studying and understanding how this timeline works. Yes, we have certain elements that are moving towards those directions, but we have places that we have been told specifically we need to watch for right now. Some of these details, historically speaking, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of. We've got areas in the Caucasian region of what is the modern Caucasus mountains anyways, because it used to be down by the Hindu Kush, but that's ancient geography for you. But nonetheless, there's a lot of these areas I want to go over with a fine-tooth comb because, well, they're all important in this huge mix of things that are going on. That Caspian Sea Basin is one of the most important geopolitical markers on the map. And the history around that area is completely off the charts. So this is where we have to start putting our gaze on these areas that are of utmost importance as we definitely are rolling full speed ahead here. With that, I've jumped uh, over the two-minute mark after uh, midnight my time. I'm going to hand it back over. Quentin, did you have any uh, comments about Brian's diatribe or further things you wanted to talk about? Well, I mean, we have so many things that are happening just everywhere. And, you know, I think uh, Brian puts it together in a very nice way to show, like, the history behind the aspect of everything. But there was one thing I wanted to talk about that you hit on, and it just kept sticking with me, all these mines that are they're collapsing everywhere. And I came across another one that was, happened in Pakistan today. Uh, Sixteen miners were killed in a, a Pakistani mine explosion. Um, so, so, yeah, I think you may be onto something with these mines that are, that are blowing up and, and collapsing on people. Well, it was the location that got my got my attention once you sent me the link. It was in Quetta, and uh, Brian has directed us to the Quetta region more than once. 
So I don't know what what made this get my attention. That's three mines in one day. Um, I don't need to bring that up that uh, I don't ever recall that happening before. Not ever. I mean, we always get news about mine collapse. When they happen, they, they always make big news, but three in one day? It, uh... I don't know what to make of that myself. I, I will say this. That, during the show, I was sent uh, a question. <laughs> what is the 82-day countdown? And I get a chuckle out of that. I obviously wasn't going to tell anybody what that was a countdown to, but I will tell you this. It's a countdown to the day of the breaking of the axe, ladies and gentlemen. There was a day when the Holy Temple existed uh, that they would cut all the firewood for the altar, and it was completed on the same day every year. When they were done cutting the firewood, they would celebrate by feasting and rejoicing. And they would ceremoniously break all the axes that they had cut the wood with. That's what this is a countdown to. That day. Now, <laughs> that's not the only thing going on that day, but I will speak about this biblically. I will speak about this biblically. We'll talk about the Lord's axe. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 15. Shall the axe boast itself against him that sheweth wherewith? Of course, speaking about the Assyrian. I'm just going to speak Hebraically this time. Because in the Hebrew... New Testament, that word is used twice in the same context. Just take note that Matthew chapter 3, verse 10 reads, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That is coarse. Also, in Luke chapter 3. But you know what? I don't have to really focus in on that. Let's read the verse before it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able... Of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. I see what's right there. I see what he's talking about because he's talking about, well, our break. You were listening to the break, weren't you? At least I hope you were. Here, I'm going to read verse 11, which I'm sure caught all of your attention. But the cormorants and the bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. 
And then he says something to get your attention. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. Ah, yes. I know what he's talking about. Do you? Do you know what he's talking about? Because I do. Interestingly enough, it reminds me of the dream I had the other day where I was uh, found myself in uh, Sicily. I went to get my daughter yesterday from an institution of higher learning to bring her back home. Wow, 800 miles in one day. Interestingly enough, there was but one brother that saw my journey and texted me to make sure I was all right. On the way back, we got into a little conversation about it. and Well, my daughter knew exactly the thing to ask me. Daddy, where's that sort of thing in the Bible? And I just <laughs> laughed. I said, nobody ever had the wherewithal to ask me. Well, honey, that is Ecclesiastes chapter 12. There's a whole lot more that the Bible can instruct you in, ladies and gentlemen, if you just get your eyes off the entertainment industry. What is going on with these minds? I don't know. But I am sure that if somebody keeps their eye out for it now, I'm sure they're going to get a whole lot more information because, of course, this coincides with the spherical voids, ladies and gentlemen. Things are going to happen because that's what he said was going to happen so that's what's going to happen I mean much like this verse that I read to you out of Isaiah chapter 34 you know if you think it's confusing in the KJV it's because it wasn't delivered in the KJV you need to get your eye on the ball. Well, Clinton, your closing comments, and don't forget your website information, please. You know, everyone, it's always a, a pleasure, and, and thank you so much for your support. Um, you can always find me on my website, uh, clintoncowatch.com. Um, or on Twitter, uh, just uh, look under my handle, Clinton Coach. I post all the news articles we talk about and, and everything that uh, is going around, going around that we can find. Um, you can also uh, listen to me on the Diligent Watchman on Podbeam as well. Thank you very much, and may God guide you on your journey. Brian, your closing comments and websites, please. Well, closing comments. You brought up Isaiah 10. 15 and 10, 16 and forward. 
Buddy, I want you to take note of something. Mini, which is the Manian Empire. That's mentioned with Ashkenaz and Urotu or Arat. In Isaiah 10.15 and 10.16, there's two words that have meaning included in it. But here's one in 10.16 that should catch everybody's attention. Because I brought up the oil. The word mashmin, which means essentially to break it down, fatness, fatness, fat pieces. But then the next definition, oil. And then it says comma olive oil. Folks, they knew about oil in ancient times. As a matter of fact, they traded in it from ancient Azerbaijan. So now we got two markers, and I'm glad Matthew brought that up. And I just put the further dot at the end. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Overt Attention Show. Uh, you can find me at OvertAttentionShow.com, Blog Talk Radio, Overt Attention Show. And to make easy for emailing, thebandsoftime at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. God bless. As for me, ladies and gentlemen, I have no want or desire to uh, give out my stuff. If you got questions about the Bible, God's holy word, he'll let you know where to go. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when you read a verse like the verse that I read a few minutes ago, or any verse for that matter. If you don't understand it, it's because you never ask the question, because you never hear it the way he said it. You never read it in the way he wrote it, because you know it's just take a verse that you're not understanding, you know, and that some of those words, some of those creatures mentioned there, well, of course, you probably didn't know what they were. But it really doesn't matter if you switch over to the New American Standard Bible or the English Standard <laughs> Version. Those aren't going to help you. They're not going to show you anything. Until next time. Ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.